Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. I must admit, I feel like a fool. I love that sort of music. R&B, soul, a little funk influence. That's Curtis Mayfield on the way back here. I've listened to Curtis Mayfield, uh, although admittedly not as much as I should. I've been listening to Curtis Mayfield a ton lately. If you haven't noticed, I've been on sort of a funk R&B, disco-type kick. And I learned the other day that Touch the Sky, Kanye West, which you just heard a sample of, I didn't realize that was a sample. I thought it was a Kanye original. Turns out it's not. Superfly himself, Curtis Mayfield, is the original. So I felt foolish because I certainly know some of Curtis Mayfield's music, just didn't know that one and that that had been uh, the original that Kanye West had sampled from. Welcome back. New is now ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuanez. Hope you had a great weekend. I had an outstanding uh, several days away. I was in the Midwest for the first time. I've been to the Midwest, but I've never been to Wisconsin. Uh, great time in Milwaukee, uh, visiting around and hanging out with uh, one of my best friends. And uh, kind of Brewers game, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. And uh, also spent the day yesterday in Chicago. So that was very fun as well. New experiences uh, across the board. Hopefully you had a great weekend uh, as well. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, caught you up on everything you missed during uh, the four days we were away from Duncan Hamilton to the most impressive and most memorable moments of the college football season to a bunch of other news as well, uh, including some recruiting news for in-state athletes. All of that was part of the Montana Sports Hour presented by Blackfoot Communications, who also proudly presents the Nuanas Now podcast. You want to find anything from the first hour of today's show, go check it out there. Uh, on the Nuanas Now podcast, Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, where they're all grizz all the time, and the MSU Bookstore. Proud to present the Nuanas Now podcast each and every day. Speaking of baseball, uh, we, we got a cool box of the Bowman 2023s. For those that know about Bowman cards, trading cards, these are from our great friends at Zootown Sports Cards. Bowman was kind of the, for, forever, there, there was just Tops. Tops was the one company that made cards. 
There were some shoot-offs with bubblegum companies and candy bars and things like that. But the one company that was putting out full sets of baseball cards was Topps. Then Bowman came out. Bowman was famous for making cards of, of minor leaguers and rookies. And so if you got like the Bowman version of the, the prospect before he was in the big leagues and then he became an all-star or even a Hall of Famer, that was like the holy grail of the rookie cards. Well, Bowmans are still around and they still do a great job of emphasizing sort of those young and up-and-coming players. And, and the trick here is if you collect these cards, you get a good one and then you hold on to it and you hope that that guy becomes uh, some sort of standout, some sort of Hall of Famer. The, the latest pack I just pulled was a great example of it. Bowman has these top 100 prospects rated by uh, various scouts. So this one is a Bowman Chrome of Rick Tiedemann. He is the number 24 ranked prospect in all of baseball. Tiedemann takes instruction well, a great trait for somebody with all the physical prerequisites. His stuff has ticked up since he left junior college. The lefty holds a mid to high 90s velocity uh, deep into games and features two promising secondary pitches in a slider and a changeup. Tiedemann extends well on all of it. So we'll see. We'll see what Rick Tiedemann, Ricky Tiedemann, excuse me, becomes. He's a Toronto Blue Jay right now, but the number 24 ranked prospect in baseball. If you want to check out uh, some fun cards, get a cool box, head on down to Zootown Sports Cards there uh, in the Stevens Center and uh, tell them ESPN Radio sent you. Maybe they'll hook you up. Either way, fun place to hang out, fun place to collect at. On the baseball note, first of all, Andrew, tell people the, the story about Andrew Jones's kid. There's a one-of-one in these boxes, and unfortunately for those aspiring collectors, it's already been pulled. One-of-one means there's only one of these cards in the whole world. That's the allure of sports card collecting is when you get these rare of rarest of rare inserts that truly are one-of-a-kind or one-out-of-ten, and that's what makes them so valuable is, is just how rare that they are. Uh, but tell people the story about uh, Andrew Jones's son, Drew Jones. He's one of the, the premier up-and-coming prospects in baseball. Drew Jones got drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks, I think, a couple years ago now, although he's just sort of starting out his journey in the actual minor leagues because he was in rookie ball for a while. He had a big shoulder injury, too. Uh, so his first-ever Bowman cards are in this year's Bowman set, and one of the big, like, uh, nationwide card distributors put out a bounty for his one of one card. Uh, you know, they have the different subsets, like you said, some of them are out of 100, some of them are out of 500, some of them are out of 50. For the one of one, this uh, this nationwide card distributor put out a bounty of $250,000 for the person who pulls <laughs> it. They'll give you 250k, no questions asked. The catch was that if you chose to hold on to the card and Drew Jones makes the Hall of Fame, Amazing. which is something that's 20, 25 years away, if he even does it, they're offering you a million dollars for Amazing. the card. Amazing. <laughs> so the, the card, I believe, has been pulled. I hope the guy took the 250 k because you don't <laughs> want to bet on a kid who's right. in A-ball making oh. the Hall of Fame. So. <laughs> No, on is now. This is Diamond Time. It's our baseball segment for the week where we talk all things baseball. We're going to do this twice this week because we didn't have one last week. Presented proudly by Northwest Motorsport. Check out the best selection of trucks, Jeeps, and SUVs at nwmsrocks.com or head to the Northwest Motorsport showroom at the corner of Stevens and Mount 
here in Missoula. I mean, that's the thing is Drew Jones could be as good of a player as his father, which is an exceptionally good player. I mean, Andrew Jones had a phenomenal career. And he's the same type of player. He's a great defensive center fielder. And a guy with some power. And Andrew Jones is not a Hall of Famer, if I'm not mistaken, right? He is not yet, no, although he's still in consideration. I, I, I think that Andrew Jones, though, is a great sort of litmus test for, for what makes a, a Hall of Fame career. Like, Andrew Jones, again, he had a phenomenal career. He hit 434 home runs, drove in more than 1,200 runs. He hit 254 for his career, so that's sort of like the entry point right there, right? Usually, you got to be more around 275 to be a Hall of Famer. But if you have, like sort of a, a baseline number like he has, the 400 home runs helps him. And then the fact that he was, I mean, I would say the one of two best center fielders in baseball defensively. It was him and Ken Griffey Jr. all through the 90s and the early 2000s. He was the premier defensive center fielder, I think, of his generation because he came up as Griffey was starting to decline. And then right, it was right, Andrew Gr- Jones and, and Jim Edmonds maybe was the other guy of that Jim generation. Jim a but good one, for sure. Andrew Jones won a ton of gold gloves. Uh, yeah, I mean, Andrew Jones, I, I'm looking at it here on his uh, baseball reference. He won the gold glove in center field every single year from 1997 to 2006. So that's 10 straight gold gloves. So that makes you one of the great defensive outfielders ever, for sure. And you're right. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr., I wouldn't say he was necessarily fully on his decline yet, but in terms of his defensive prowess, I mean, he was at his prime from 89 to probably 2000, and Andrew Jones first came up uh, in 1996, but then was more of the, the full-time center fielder by 1998. I'll never forget, though, when he got that call-up in 96 for the Braves as a 19-year-old, and then he hit a home run in the World Series. He hit two home runs in one game <laughs> in the World Series. And I, I just remember thinking, wow, either the sky's the limit for this guy or the pressure of this is going to crater him because you just can't get any higher than hitting two home runs in one game when you're 19. Imagine if you'd had his one-of-one rookie card at that point in time. Oh, man, no no question. Andrew Jones' peak season came in 2005 uh, for the Atlanta Braves when he was 28 years old. He finished second in the MVP voting that year. That was his highest finish ever. He was an all-star, won the gold glove, and won the silver slugger. Uh, his final stat line that 2005 year, 51 home runs, 128 RBI, uh, hit 263 that year. Uh, he's he certainly, the, the latter half of his career, traded in uh, contact for power, uh, never had really an, uh, an on-base percentage of more than about 340 uh, during the latter half of his career. But still, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I do think he's sort of right there. Like, he, he's like... I always say this about Jack Morris. Jack Morris is sort of the litmus test of pitchers. If you were better than Jack Morris, then you're a Hall of Fame pitcher. If you were better than Mike Mussina, you were a Hall of Fame pitcher. If you're worse than those two guys, you're not. And those two guys are sort of like the last guys that could get into the Hall of Fame as pitchers. I think Andrew Jones, probably as an outfielder, is is right there. Yeah, I think his case is so interesting because he's got so many extremes, right? I mean, some guys will look at a guy who hit 400-plus home runs and was also one of the great defensive center fielders of the last 50 years, yeah. probably in the history of the game, and say, that guy's a clear Hall of Famer. Other people will look at a guy who hit 250 and really only had 10 good years because his yeah. career essentially fell off a cliff right after that huge 2005 year. Yeah, he had a hard time staying in shape. Uh, he Correct. He, he got hurt. He, he, his conditioning was an issue once he hit his late 20s. Correct. And then he got hurt, and that accentuated the issue, and then it sort of spiraled out of him. Last point on Andrew Jones here before we talk about some contemporary baseball. Um, 
The fact that he is unquestionably the greatest player ever from Curacao, does that add to his legacy? I think if there was interesting, more, if there was more great player, if he would have started some sort of pipeline in Curacao, I do think it adds to your legacy. If you're sort of just of one of one though, and it doesn't really influence like the growth of the game where you're from, uh, then it's it's different. Like well, Robert, for, Roberto Clemente sort of like was this pioneer for Latin American baseball players. I don't know if that's the same deal for Andrew Jones from Curacao. For Curacao being tiny, there's a lot of baseball talent that comes out of there. Their their teams are always at the Little League World Series. Okay, so then maybe he has Xander had Bogarts a, is from Curacao. Okay, okay. If you remember Jerickson Profar, who was the top prospect in the game uh, probably five or six years ago now, yeah, and has sort of settled in. I mean, Curacao is a tiny island. Uh, but they've got some some players in the majors. Okay, so then maybe, he, maybe Andrew Jones is a hugely influential yeah player from Curacao. I guess I would give Andrew Jones a nod a, a notch on the pros side of this pros and cons for his Hall of Fame. In that I didn't know what Curacao was until I knew that Andrew Jones was from Curacao. This is obviously when I was a kid, but I was like, well, that's cool. Where's that? And then I learned all about Curacao. So uh, good for Andrew Jones. Uh, Nuanas now, it is Diamond Time, presented by Northwest Motorsport. Northwest Motorsport, uh, located here in Missoula at the corner of Stevens and Mount. You can also visit them at nwmsrocks.com. I was at the uh, Milwaukee Brewers game on Saturday. Sweet park, sweet atmosphere. Um, I mean, as you'd expect, baseball in the Midwest remains very popular you know, and uh, <laughs> it's funny. I've always laughed at um, every year. There's always the lists of the towns where the most drinking occurs. And there's always several Montana towns that land on that list. Shout out Missoula, shout out Bozeman, usually on the list of the 20, you know, most heavily drinking t- towns. There's always several. Towns from Wisconsin, too. Milwaukee, Madison, uh, Kenosha, Sheboygan. Those towns seem to always land on the list as well. So I went to to Milwaukee uh, with full intention of enjoying some beers because what else do you do at a baseball game, you know? But I was was very impressed by, first of all, uh, how much beer was being drank in the stadium, but also how still uh, civil and nice everybody was. A lot of times, the heavy drinking then also goes with unruly behavior. I thought that... Everybody at the Brewers game that we were at was was very well behaved. But uh, beers aside, uh, my main impressions of uh, American Family Park were uh, a couple couple different impressions. First of all, beautiful facility, unbelievable. Uh, As we were walking in, I I had some conversations with some Brewers faithful that were saying uh, they were hoping that the the city would come through and, and that they could figure out some logistical things to build a new stadium. And I, I I was thinking, wow, do they really need a new stadium? Isn't this stadium brand new? And then I realized, no, I'm old. I remember when Miller Park first opened up and the All-Star game was there. There's the famous and now sort of infamous home run derby where Sammy Sosa, who was uh, at the peak of his powers, uh, at the peak of his cycle, let's say, and also using a corked bat, he put on a unforgettable display. I mean, he was hitting balls out of the stadium. There's the slide there in left field, and he was like hitting them onto the slide, and the, the ball was coming down the slide. It was just such this uh, iconic moment. And then it turned into one that was sort of sullied by uh, Sammy Sosa's indiscretions. 
But I had this weird moment when we were walking into the stadium. I was like, wow, that was 20 plus years ago. This stadium is a little bit older. Although I don't, I don't think they need a new stadium. They, that stadium is great. If they just did any sort of uh, renovations, that would be perfectly adequate because it was a super awesome stadium. But it was my first time watching a major league game this year since these new rules. And as I was sitting there at the Brewers Park as the Brewers took on the uh, Oakland Athletics, the worst team in baseball, who, by the way, <laughs> just messed around and uh, beat the Brewers three games in a row, First sweep of the year for Oakland. They were 15 and 50 coming into the weekend. And they uh they go to Milwaukee win three in a row to knock the Brewers out of first place. The Pittsburgh Pirates now lead the NL Central. But but I was sitting there watching this this game, and it, it it's been a couple of years since I had been to a major league game. Several things have changed about major league games. First of all, the rule changes with the pitching clock, the bigger bases. I thought the number one most noticeable, obviously, rule change was the the pitching clock. But I also was struck by how clear it is that that baseball strategy, and as you know, I talk about this on the show all the time, baseball was my first love. It was the thing, the sport I got super into at the earliest age, probably the sport I was the best at growing up through my teenage years. And... um, my, my love affair with baseball certainly has faded because of a variety of reasons. But I was sort of analyzing myself and the way that Major League Baseball is played now with some of these different strategic things that they do. First of all, we got to see a starting pitcher go six full innings, actually seven full innings, um, for Milwaukee starter Julio uh, Teheran. And uh, he pitched well, struck out six. That was sort of a different from the norm. It's sort of become commonplace that the starter goes four or five innings, and then there's so many different pitching changes throughout a game. The other thing that I thought was striking, I, I knew this was happening around baseball, but I hadn't really seen it live and in person. I remember this. I remember noticing this and sort of uh, thinking about this during the World Series because the Phillies were doing this a lot too, where you hit your best hitter, and I don't just mean your your best contact hitter, but like your your true overall best hitter in the leadoff spot. For for more than a century, the conventional wisdom was you hit your best hitter in the three hole. Now, so many teams. I mean, Aaron Judge sometimes bats leadoff for the Yankees. That's crazy. Kristen Yelich, though, who's by far the most prominent Brewer and the most prominent player I saw in this game we watched on Saturday, uh, he hit in the leadoff spot. So that was just my first time. Uh, seeing that live and in person. And it was also interesting seeing some of the stuff that they've done to sort of mitigate and maybe even eliminate shifts. I think that's a, uh, I don't know where I stand on that. Because on one hand, the shift is annoying. But on the other hand, you just want to say, well, all right, major league player that's getting paid millions of dollars, learn how to hit it against the shift. Learn how to go the other way. Hit it where the fielders aren't. So I don't really know what I think of all that. Uh, but regardless, I guess my number one takeaway while I was sitting there in the stadium was this. It was that, I guess, twofold. One, baseball at any level translates live so much better than it does on television. Part of that's just because sitting inside during the the months where it's nice out <laughs> for hours at a time just isn't nearly as fun as sitting outside. <laughs> 
standing outside. I watched that U8 baseball game on Friday night in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. It was great. I was hooked. I was loving it. It's the same thing. I mean, I guess the concept of baseball being America's pastime, it's most most accentuated when you're talking about watching baseball live because that's what you're doing. You're passing the time. So I thought from a in-person live baseball perspective, the pitch clock wasn't good. I didn't like it. I won't, But that's because I was there with my friends having a grand old time. I wanted the game to last four hours. I thought that would have been great. You know, we could have had an extra hot dog, could have had an extra brewski, whatever. So in terms of improving the in-person deal, I don't know. Maybe this makes baseball better on TV. It was, didn't make it better in person. And I think that this, all these rule changes is sort of missing the mark. I don't think baseball games themselves need to go faster. I think they need to mean more, and I don't know how you do that. I think part of the reason that baseball has lost footing in the American attention span of sports is because the Brewers just got swept by the worst team in the league. Now, that that could be something that puts you into a tailspin. It also could be a completely irrelevant blip on the radar that has nothing to do with your season. The Brewers very well may go on and win the, the the central. The A's very well go, may, may go on and win 50-something games and be one of the worst teams in baseball history. What does this actual three-game stretch actually mean? I think that baseball's got to figure out a way to make their games seem more important. I don't know how you do that, though. I don't think most people that like baseball, though, want the games to go faster. I think it's the people that are fading away from liking baseball that want the games to mean more. I just don't know how... Uh, you sort of mitigate that. Uh, our guy, Andrew Houghton, multifaceted, great writer at Skyline Sports, uh, contributing podcaster on the Big Sky Breakdown at Skyline Sports, our producer here at ESPN Radio. He put on a new hat over the weekend, uh, subbing in, pinch hitting, as it were, for Jeff Safford on the Missoula Paddleheads broadcast. First of all, thanks for doing that, and great job. Um, but I want to ask you, now that you, you've seen live and in person and got a full you know, three-day three sort of uh, dip into the pallets. Before we talk about them, what did you think of just seeing the new rules live? And, and is that, uh, was it a big change at the, at the Pioneer League level? I think it certainly is when you're when you're doing the play-by-play, which I had never done before. But oh, this yeah, was the biggest true. thing yeah, yeah. I noticed. Yeah, and, and I've been to a Paddleheads game earlier this season just to watch from the stands. Sure, and that didn't make a huge difference for for me, other than just you know budgeting your time a little bit differently. But when you're watching a game from the stands, you're maybe you're not keyed in on every pitch, right? You're there with sure. friends, you're chatting, you're hanging out, you're going to get a beer. If you miss a pitch here and there, you're you're going to miss some pitches anyway. So if sure. it's going a little bit faster, I don't think that makes a huge difference. When you're calling the game, it makes a huge difference. Huge difference, for sure. In, I, I remember this from my umpiring days, too, because I used to umpire in tournaments that would have pitch clocks mm. and then ones that wouldn't. And, you, you know, when you're umping, you were absolutely locked in on every single pitch. And uh, it was very striking when a, a game had a clock or there was a pitch clock or both how much. You're, you're right. It does go way more efficiently. You have to focus in a lot more on what the critical information is that you're trying to get out there, right? And you think of, like, a baseball radio broadcaster. You think of, like, Vince Scully telling these intricate stories that last for an inning where he's breaking in and for every pitch, but really the focus is not so much on the info because he's got time to get it out. I just I just didn't have time really to do any of that, and you can't go on any tangents. You gotta be you gotta be locked in and ready. 
More on the Missoula Paddleheads, plus some NBA Finals analysis as well. An extended Diamond Time presented by Northwest Motorsport. You want to check out the largest inventory of trucks in the Pacific Northwest? Visit nwmsrocks.com. A few more baseball thoughts, plus NBA Finals next. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. When it comes to criminal defense, what's an example of why someone could or should call Schulte Law? Criminal defense happens on somebody's worst day, you know, and it doesn't mean that someone's a bad person. We all make mistakes. We all make choices that maybe aren't the best choice, and that can lead to dramatic consequences in somebody's life. So we're really focusing on personal injury and criminal defense. We do a lot of different areas of the law, though. We have a strong background in real estate. Um, We handle family law for clients, ton of mediations. The ultimate reality is, is that people have bad days, and that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschultilaw.com. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Even if it was just for their name, Sly and the Family Stone has to be one of the coolest bands ever. But then you like listen to the music, like, oh, these guys actually live up to the name. Transcendent. So, so cool. Uh, such a good musical act from the 1970s. Welcome back. Nuana's Now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Hope you're having a great start to your week. Uh, a couple more thoughts on the wide world of baseball. Coming back to here in the Garden City, part of our Diamond Time. It's presented by Northwest Motorsport. Visit nwmsrocks.com to find the largest inventory of trucks in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Andrew Houghton, our producer here at ESPN Radio, he was also moonlighting as the voice of the Missoula Paddleheads over the weekend. Got to call a three-game set there against the Great Falls Voyagers. Jeff Safford, the voice of the Paddleheads, will be back. He was had a wedding this last weekend. It's that time of year, you know, and... Uh, even Safford needs a, a, a few days away, so uh, hopefully he had a good time. But uh, appreciate Andrew for filling in. Uh, but you, you mentioned you saw this team, uh, one of the first home games is sort of just a patron. But now you got to watch sort of in-depth three games in a row. What, what were your impressions? First of all, what, what went down this week? Was it a, was it a paddlehead sweep this weekend? Yeah, so they were doing a weird... Um they did like three, they do like a home and away series. So they were in Great Falls to start the week, right, right? And then had three games this weekend. So six in a row against the same team, but split between two locations. Split between yeah. home and away, and they lost the first game of the series in Great Falls, and then swept the last five, including all three in Missoula. So a home sweep, uh, at least a, a three game, uh, three wins and three nights uh, during this last weekend. So what did you think? What were your impressions? Well, the Paddleheads seem like they're they're rounding into form this year, and it seems like they're sort of getting back to the level that they were at last year. And if you'll remember last year, I mean, this was a team that just sort of blitzed the Pioneer League. I mean, they had the best offense. They had one of the best pitching staffs in the league. They were a holy terror last year. They started off this season a little slow, but from from what I saw this weekend, they're getting back to it. They were really, really impressive. I mean, they've got... Guys who can who can play all over the field, 
the lineup is just uh, is terrifying. I mean, they've got seven or eight guys in the lineup hitting over 300 and multiple guys hitting over 400 in the lineup. So that's terrifying. What really impressed me this weekend was the pitching staff and particularly the bullpen. They've got a lot of guys. They've got a lot of options coming out of the bullpen. Seems like this is maybe just me being cliche or picking the low-hanging fruit. I don't really have any justification for this other than it just seems like conventional wisdom. But it seems to me that the hardest part of an independent league, minor league baseball team to build would be the bullpen. Is that an adequate assessment? Yeah, because you just got to be able to find the arms, right? It's I mean, a, it's a finite I, resource. I guess it's a it's a low-hanging fruit because that's the hardest part of building any professional right. baseball team, right? Because every level up until professional baseball, your guys have so much versatility. You have starters that can be relievers sometimes, guys that are really elite. They pitch so deep into games. It's at the pro level where you, you need that guy that can pitch the seventh. They can pitch the eighth. And like you're saying, you just have to have a proliferation of professional arms. There's just not that many guys out there that are professional level pitchers. Not that many guys, but Missoula's got a bunch of them. I mean, they cool. they got a great start on Friday night's game from from Kelvin Pilot, one of their starting pitchers who looks like the ace of this staff. He, he threw great and they, they sort of blew out great falls on Friday, but on Saturday and Sunday, they had to yank the starting pitcher early. I mean, they only got two innings out of the starter on Saturday and three innings out of the starter on Sunday. But the bullpen was just lights out. They're mixing and matching. They've got guys from all over. I mean, Mark Simon, who's been in Missoula for a couple years, he looks like the closer, and he's just low 90s, but he controls it really well. He knows how to throw his breaking ball. Uh, They've got a couple guys before him. I mean, Carl Blum, a guy who's been out of baseball for a couple years, uh, coming back with the Paddleheads this year, and he's throwing mid-90s, which is great for the Pioneer League. And then Mark Timmons yesterday uh, throws four innings of one-run relief, which in this ballpark, in this league, super impressive. And again, a guy who's not going to blow you away, high 80s, low 90s, but he's got kind of a funky delivery, throwing sidearm. He controls it really well. He mixes speeds really well. They've just got a bunch of guys like that in the back end of the bullpen that are going to get the job done. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio Diamond Time, presented by Northwest Motorsport. Okay, I have one last question for you, Andrew, and this is a parallel between Pioneer League Baseball and Major League Baseball. You know me well. I have a mind for statistics. One thing that made me so obsessed with baseball was the ability to compare statistics across generations because sort of the barometers and the baselines of what is adequate and good remained unchanged for, I mean, you could probably say the first 140 to 150 years of professional baseball, like from the advent of pro baseball in the post-Civil War era in the late 19th century, all the way through even the steroid era. I mean, the steroid era certainly had some balloon statistics, but the the baselines of what was good, like for example, hitting 300 is an excellent mark. That that is, and that remains true. But you used to have 25 to 30 excellent hitters every year hit 300, and then like the guys chasing the batting titles would be up in the 330s, 340s. It's like the famous or infamous, I guess, Alex Bregman line. If I was getting paid to hit 325, I hit 325. I'm not getting paid to hit 325. I'm getting hit, paid to hit three-run bombs. <laughs> and that's kind of been what it's become. But I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around watching current baseball, following current baseball, both minor league and major league, and then comparing it 
to the statistics that I know to be true and good. And it's sort of a uh, two-spectrum issue. In Major League Baseball, hardly anybody's hitting more than 250. Everybody's just kind of toiling along there between 200 and 250. And, you know, the home run numbers and the RBI numbers, they're just not the same as they once were. On the Pioneer League side, the teams are scoring double digits pretty much every night out. And like you said, there's multiple guys hitting 400. So it's like the opposite side. It's like a circus instead of, you know, sort of the baseline that we've become so accustomed to. How do you reconcile this in your mind, or do you just have to sort of relearn what statistically is impressive in modern baseball? Well, for the Pioneer League, I think you just have to recalibrate what the good marks are. You know, especially for a team like Missoula that plays in a ballpark that's 290 down the lines, right? Right. So I can, you know, I'm looking at these guys hitting 350 and 370 and 400 for the Paddleheads, and I'm just, you you just have to recalibrate, and suddenly it's not like... 300 is an excellent average. It's like 300 is where you should be at. To be a a Pioneer League baseball player, right. To be a Pioneer League baseball player. And the same thing goes for the pitchers, right? Right. Like, Major League Baseball always, it's been like, if you got an ERA that starts with a three, you're generally doing pretty good. Right. Pioneer League, I'm fe- if you if you got an ERA under five, under five, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about you as like a competent pitcher. I mean, the Mark Timmons who threw for the Paddleheads yesterday, as I mentioned, four innings of one run relief, he was throwing he was throwing great. The one run that was scored was on a pop fly home run over the right field wall that went about 315 feet. I mean, that's just going to happen sometimes. There's nothing you're going to be able to do about that. So it's just tough to pitchers are going to give up runs and guys are going to run into some balls sometimes yeah. that inflate their statistics. That that's fine. I can and I can totally do that. I mean, cuz you know, it, it's just like as you go down the line in levels of baseball, like like in high school if you're in high school if you're only hitting 300, like you're saying like you're that's just not very good. Right. Great hitters in high school hit 400 or 450, right? right. And exceptional players hit like 500. And, and, you know, so I can totally readjust that. Um, the the biggest statistic that I that drives me nuts is in in Major League Baseball that that has changed so much that to me is such an important statistic in the game is RBI runs batted in forever sort of the baseline number of excellence was one thirty or excuse me one hundred and then up to one thirty is kind of where you saw you know the mere mortals and then the um, the immortals were getting between 130 and 160 RBI but there was a, a moment in time that well not a moment in time there was a long time there where the best hitters would be chasing basically a 1 RBI per game average right like 150 to 160 RBI was like this epic number but that's what the best of the best the Mickey Mantles and Joe DiMaggio's and Willie Mays of the world Henry Aaron they could get up to that now I mean, what's what's going to lead Major League Baseball this year? I mean, they'll probably be how many, over or under five guys with 100 RBI this year. Probably, well, probably right at that. I think that's the number here. I'm looking at the statistics right now. There are four guys with 50 guys. RBIs in Major League Baseball right now. So, how far are we through the season? Uh, we are about I mean, 68 games. So, you still got about 100 left. Okay, so actually, those guys are certainly on pace for triple digits. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think. I mean, I think you're exaggerating it a little bit. 150 RBIs is a lot, a lot. For I mean, sure. even Hank Aaron and Willie Mays weren't sure. reaching that. For sure, more than once or I, twice in their careers. Here's why my 150 is is so iconic. And and who knows what all these guys were doing? None of them were actually con, quote unquote convicted in terms of juicing, but none of them would surprise me. I guess Manny Ramirez certainly was part of it. But like, I'm, I was a huge Cleveland Indians kid, fan when I was a kid. I definitively remember Albert Bell having 140-plus sure. RBI multiple seasons in a row. Juan Gonzalez certainly drove in over 150 runs at least once. Manny Ramirez was in that 130 to 150 range. Those guys are all, though, uh, first of all, if if they weren't part of the era they were a part of, or Hall of Famers, but they were part of the era they were a part of, and none of them are in the Hall of Fame, you can connect the dots there. Here's why the RBI thing has changed so much, and it's not because of the Manny Ramirez's and Albert Bell's and Jim Tomei's, right? There are still guys who are hitting 45 home runs a year who are sure. hitting a ton of extra I base mean, hits. I mean, Aaron Judge hit 60-something home runs last year. What has gone away is there are no guys hitting at the top of the order who get on base 40% of the time anymore, right. or even 420% of the time anymore. Like, who was hitting leadoff and number two for those Cleveland teams? Like, Robbie Alomar, Carlos Baerga, Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton. I mean, for sure. There are none of those leadoff guys anymore, so there yeah. are fewer guys on base when the Pete Alonzos and the Aaron Judge and the Jordan Alvarez's of the world hit their home runs. See, I just, I just don't know if I can get behind the hitting your number three hitter in the one hole. I get the analytics of why you do that, but that removes this whole brand of player that makes baseball so exciting. Like, Kenny Lofton was so fun to watch. Ricky Henderson, I mean, sure. Well, Ricky Henderson is one of the greatest pro baseball players to watch in terms of consistent excitement that has ever played the game. I think if Ricky Henderson existed today, he would be hitting leadoff well, for any team he was on. And this is, this is a deeper argument, too, then, right? This, this comes down to a lot of different things. Where baseball prospects are coming from, particularly in America, the opportunities for various different races within the baseball world. What I'm saying is it's not even necessarily about races, about the pull of certain sports. And then the popularity of baseball. 50 years ago, there's a lot of guys that were that are probably playing cornerback at LSU or Alabama sure. that would be playing baseball instead. You know what I'm saying? Like, Or I guess switch the analogy. If Kenny Lofton was coming up right now, he would probably be getting tons of offers to play in the Big Ten. He'd be a SEC. slot receiver, yeah. He'd, exactly. He'd be a slot receiver. Ricky Henderson would be a corner or a slot receiver. And, and maybe the, the pull from football to baseball would rob the game of those guys. I don't know. That's an interesting thought. Well, we're, steal, we're seeing more guys steal more bases this year than they have in a long time. Is that because of the bigger base, do you be, think? Because of the bigger bases and the rules against pickoffs, right? You only get two disengagements from the mound mm. per at-bat if you're a pitcher. So two pickoff throws. If you don't get the guy on the third, he gets the base. This is funny. Being in a major league stadium... The consistency and the ferocity of the boos for the opposing pitcher when he mm. uses the two pickoff moves in within a single at bat was was hilarious. I mean, the A's guys, uh, Milwaukee was very aggressive on the on the bases in the game I watched, even though it only ended up two to one in extras for the A's. But every time an A's pitcher stepped off the rubber or did a pickoff move. The booze just rained down. It, is, it was amazing to watch. But but anyways, I don't know. This is a good conversation. We'll continue this more, but I want to talk some NBA Finals leading into tonight's game. Will this be the final game of the NBA Finals? Andrew Houghton, Coulter Nuanas here on Nuanas Now. We all dissect it next. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. 
Feeling bluesy after my vacation. No, I'm not sad. I'm actually incredibly happy. Went to the International Blues Festival at Millennial Park in Chicago yesterday. That was very fun. I wish I would have had like a notebook or something, though, because there was like six or seven stages around, and I didn't get to write down who was playing where. So I was looking for songs today, and I was like, oh, I remember what they said each song was, but I can't remember who the actual artist was. So maybe I'll look up. Uh, what the lineup was. Welcome back to what is now ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. Missed anything in today's show? You can find it on all of your various podcast hosting networks. Just search Nuanas Now. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And thanks to Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, where they're all grizz all the time, and the MSU Bookstore, where they are uh, your best place to get blue and gold when you're on campus or otherwise. Uh, They're in Bozeman on game day or any other day. Uh, Check out msubookstore.org to shop online. NBA Finals continue tonight. The Denver Nuggets host the Miami Heat with an opportunity to close out the series and win their first ever NBA championship. This would be a historic moment in a variety of ways. Historic moment for the city of Denver. Uh, they have they've won two Super Bowls there in Denver, but they've never won a NBA title. I, they've never won a Major League Baseball title. I, I do not believe they've won several Stanley Cup titles. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche have, but this would be a huge moment. I mean, Denver's a smaller market. It would also be an enormous moment for Nikola Jokic. I mean, he has uh, affirmed himself certainly as one of, if not the best players in the world over these last several weeks and last several years. But to put a ring on it, I think it would be undeniable. The Heat, the last time we were on the air, had just stolen game two in Denver. We were wondering, wow, is this going to be a fight? Is this going to go down the wire? Then the Nuggets fully control game three and game four and take it back to the Mile High City, up 3-1. This is our uh, NBA Finals coverage presented by Sportsbet Montana. No matter where you're at uh, in Montana, there's a Sportsbet Montana kiosk near you. Go to their website. And click on locations if you want to find out where the most convenient place to make bets is and follow along on the Sportsbet Montana app as well. Nuggets, nine and a half point favorites tonight. Before we get in the line, though, Andrew, just point blank, are we going to see any NBA finals after tonight? I kind of think we are, yeah. Wow, you think the Heat are going to go in there and and pull the upset? Well, okay, I don't know if you told me to pick Nuggets or Heat sure, straight sure, up sure. if I would take the Heat. I think nine and a half is super high for that line. I agree, and I would not be I would not be shocked if the Heat stole this one. Yeah, I think if if you ask me to go against the consensus here, I think yeah. I mean, I don't think the Heat are broken. I don't think they're going to give up in this game. I think you're going no. to get. Their best effort, certainly not only because it's an elimination game, but because they can say, hey, look, if we win this one, we get to take the series back to Miami. For sure. I mean, here's the thing about the Heat. What you just said is exactly right. They will put forth their best effort tonight. I think the Heat's biggest issues are, one, the Nuggets are the worst matchup in the world for them. They have The, the Heat just have hardly any answers for what the Nuggets do well, and the Nuggets have a lot of answers for what the Heat do well. But twofold, effort's not the issue for the Heat. The Heat just got to shoot the ball so well to win. Correct. So the thing is, though, they've shot the ball so well during this playoffs, you just wonder, do they got any bullets left in the chamber? 
If the Heat go out and hit 15 threes like they have so many times this playoffs, they absolutely have a chance. But that's the thing. They have to shoot it well from three to win. That is it. That's what this game is going to come down to. If Miami makes 13 plus threes, they absolutely are going to be in it. If they don't shoot the ball well, the Nuggets are going to roll. That's exactly right. And last thing just on the Heat for this game, and this is completely... Uh, this is not X's and O's based analysis. You're not getting any X's and O's based matchups analysis for me on this game. This is just purely a vibes matchup. I think the Heat love are going to love the chance to ruin Denver's celebration in their building, right? Yeah. You take Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Eric Sprolstra, and you say, wow, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Denver. This has never happened before. The city's going to go crazy if they win and close out the series tonight, and you can just see Jimmy and Bam and Eric Spolster and everybody on the Heat thinking, well, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's a great point. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio NBA Finals Talk presented by Sportsbet Montana. I don't know. I, I, I've been sort of... Uh, well, it's funny because I, I was a little bit hesitant to pick a winner on either side in the first two games. That bared out to fruition with the two teams splitting. I absolutely hammered the Nuggets in game three and game four, but I wasn't on the radio to tell you about that. I don't know where we're at with tonight either. The unders have been hitting in this series. Um, I guess what I think about tonight is I, I think that there's a chance the Nuggets completely cover this line and, and just blow out the heat, that they win this thing going away and they're celebrating on their home floor. I also think there's a chance that the heat muck it up and thwart that exactly like Andrew just said, and that this thing's going back to Miami. Yeah, it, like I said, if we're picking straight up, I, I probably am taking the Nuggets. I'm just saying that the Heat money line at, at plus 290, or even if you can find it at plus 300, is is pretty tempting for me. Pretty spicy for sure. Stat check from earlier in the show. Albert Bell had 148 RBI in 1996 and 152 RBI in 1997. Juan Gonzalez had 140-plus RBIs four times during his career, 144 in 96, 157 in 1998, 148 in 2001. So those are some of my uh, big-time guys. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. NBA Finals breakdown and much, much more. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.